This morning we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 24. If you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to follow along. It will also be on the screen behind me. Luke chapter 24, starting in the first verse. And here the Gospel of Luke chapter 24 says this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wandering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the one, are are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish are you, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Would you join me in prayer as we continue? Father God, thank you for who you are. 
that you loved us enough to send your son to live among the crazy, chaotic, messed up world that we live in each and every day. Father, that world is what put your son to death. And all seemed hopeless at that point. Another person to look forward to who was supposed to save everything who just died. But today, Father, we celebrate that he isn't dead. He is alive. And we ask that your spirit would take the words that we just read and we, that we just heard and you would translate them to the everyday details of our life and that we see the hope that you have for us in and through your risen son. It's by the power of your spirit and through your son, Jesus, that we pray this. Amen. I often go to coffee shops to read and study. And at one coffee shop near my home, I once interacted with a homeless guy. Over the course of our conversation, he shared that he had lost his job and his apartment. Later, I would see him on the street corner near that same coffee shop, holding a sign trying to collect money. And during our conversation, one time at least, he had shared how Catholic Charities had been helping him to get a place to live, which would in turn increase his chances of being employed. So he couldn't get the job if he didn't have a place to live, first off. He shared how he had applied for work at many places, but also conveyed that employers are skeptical to hire someone who doesn't have a permanent residence. The tone of his voice and the look on his face summed up his situation. Despairing. To some degree or another, we all know that feeling. Now, your situation may not be lacking a job or a place to live, but what about despair that results from unending bills and debt? or the result from unbreakable addictions, or despair from constant demands from your employer, or continual public, publicly aired slander, or despair from perpetually being excluded from your peers at school, or despair from day after day of feeling lonely. Or what about the despair that results from persistent fear of terror or danger that we're presented with all the time? Our minds probably shift to images of Ukraine or the recent New York subway situation. The details may vary, but the feeling of despair is the same. For this man at the coffee shop, his hope amidst despair seemed to reside in him acquiring money, enough money to then be able to have a place to live, and a residence permanent enough to be able to get him a job. For you, your hope may be for your debt to be eradicated by a promotion or a raise at work. Or for you, your hope may be to uh, better edu- to have better education uh, for young people regarding the danger of drugs. Or hope for your demanding employer, de- demanding employer to get fired or to, t- to take a job elsewhere to get rid of him and then you have a better situation. Or hope for the governing authorities to execute justice for the things that are wrong in the world. Or hope to have a welcoming group of friends at school. Or hope for a girl or a boy to like you and love you and want to spend time with you. Or hope for Russia to be curtailed by more military action. The details for each person may vary, but we all tend to put our hope in something or someone to dispel the despair that plagues our lives. In Luke's gospel, we encounter two travelers who are also despairing. Their bodily language captures it all. In verse 17 of Luke 24, Luke tells us that they stood still, their faces downcast. The word downcast here also has the connotation of being saddened or discouraged or depressed. The travelers say that they are despairing because of what happened to Jesus. In verse 19, the travelers say, 
Speaking of Jesus here, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. These two Jewish travelers were hoping that Jesus would be the leader to finally come and liberate Israel, their people, from the bondage of Rome who held them in rule. They, along with many in Israel, were looking for a powerful leader, a Messiah, to come and make Israel the great nation and force that it once was at its pinnacle under King David. These were the people who wanted Israel to be great again, to no longer be bogged down by foreign powers. These were the people who said of Jesus, yes, we can with Jesus as our leader, and we can get rid of Roman rule and make Israel better. And why wouldn't they think Jesus would be the great leader that they were looking for? The travelers themselves noted that Jesus was prophetic. He spoke out against the rulers and the injustices of his day. Jesus had the silver tongue, which sparked the imaginations of many to consider what the future could be under his kingdom that he promoted. And Jesus' powerful deeds spoke to his ability to get things done in a way that no other person seemed to be able to do. Jesus was the person who was supposed to redeem Israel. Jesus was the one who was supposed to put Israel back on the right track. As the travelers on the Emmaus Road said, we had hoped that Jesus was the one who is going to redeem Israel. This was their hope. But Jesus died. Just like every other person who Israel thought would be their savior. Jesus lived. He showed himself powerful, but he died. And he fell short of fulfilling all these dreams that these two travelers had. And Jesus didn't just die. He was stomped out under Rome's approval, the very people they wanted to get rid of. From the traveler's perspective, Rome had won again. And they had seemingly put their hope in a lesser power, in a lesser person than they should have. Years ago, I was traveling to a friend of mine's wedding in Colorado. It was going to be in Denver. And I met uh, one of my friends in Missouri, and we were going to drive from there to Colorado or to Denver for this wedding. And I'd never been that far west, at least on the road before. And so I'm thinking, well, I know Kansas is flat, but like the Rocky Mountains are like this like huge mountain range. Like surely you see that like miles and miles away. And somewhere, you know, Almost toward the end of Kansas, the western side of Kansas, I'm like, is that them? Is that them? And I'm thinking, that might be, and then I realize it's just a cloud. So we get into eastern Colorado, and we keep driving. And now we're even maybe like an hour or so into eastern Colorado, and I'm like, where are these mountains? Like, are, have I just like thought they're, are they imaginary? Like, where are they? And it's not until you get right to Denver do you then see the Rocky Mountains. I was bummed that I couldn't see them. Just like I was apparently wrong about what I should expect in driving across Colorado, so also these travelers appear to have been wrong about Jesus being the Messiah that Israel longed for. That's what they seemed to think at this point. And this is where we find ourselves too often. We put our hope in something or someone only to be disappointed by them later leaving us despairing, depressed, with our faces downcast, just like these two travelers experienced. Now, as disappointed as I was that you couldn't see the Rocky Mountains as far away as I thought you could, once I finally saw them, it's a sight that you don't want to ever leave. 
why I was there for the time I was there. It's like, these people get to wake up to this every day. Like, it doesn't change. Like, it's just there. Like, you know, the, that view is there all the time. Like, I can't even describe how awesome and majestic it is. You have to see it for yourself. Think back to Luke 24 and the travelers. We left this scene with the two travelers despairing of Jesus' death. But as the narrative continues, we see that Jesus' death is not the end of this story. Rather, we begin to see Jesus revealing himself as alive to these two travelers. And interestingly, Jesus does not reveal himself in a flash-bam-boom fashion. Rather, Jesus reveals himself subtly, just as he came into the earth subtly as a baby, poor and unnoticed by most people. First, we encounter Jesus revealing himself through the scriptures. Jesus unfolds the Old Testament scriptures to these two travelers, pointing them to the Messiah's coming and that the Messiah was expected to be crucified and then glorified. Notice that it was through hearing the word of God that these two travelers first realized that they have encountered the risen Messiah. Often I hear from you know people here and there like, well, I don't know that I ever hear God or I don't know that God's real. And yet here, Jesus himself is basically pointing to, if you want to encounter me, look at my word. That's at least one place you can expect to find him. And as the three of these, as these two travelers and Jesus reach the traveler's home, the two travelers welcome Jesus to then stay the night. The narrative then says that they all sit down to eat, and Jesus, the visitor, oddly assumes the role of host. I mean, it'd be like having a visitor over to your house and they're like, hey, do you want bread? Do you want this? Let me get stuff out of the cupboard for you. Like, wait, I'm the one who's supposed to be serving you, not the other way around here. And it says Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. As this happens, it says the eyes of the two travelers were opened and they recognized Jesus, that, it, that he was no longer dead, but alive right there in front of them. Now, some Bible scholars think that the two travelers recognized Jesus in the breaking of bread because of the parallels that Jesus drew out to his disciples at the Last Supper, the the supper he has with his disciples before he dies, where um, he talks about his body being broken and the bread representing that. And some Bible scholars think that the two travelers recognized Jesus in the breaking of bread because earlier in Luke's gospel, the feeding where Jesus feeds 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, This is followed by Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And so here also, some scholars think that Luke is showing here that Jesus is once again recognized as Christ in the breaking of the bread. There are pros and cons to both interpretations here. However, I think there is a commonality between the two. The Lord's Supper and the feeding of the 5,000 both point to God being revealed in ordinary earthly elements like bread, fish, grape juice, the act of eating, and meals. What we see here is that Jesus reveals himself through the subtle, ordinary, everyday details of life. He doesn't come to us in this flash, bam, boom way. He comes to us in subtle ways, ways that we actually can understand if we would have the eyes to see it. The Emmaus travelers encountered the risen Jesus in the same ways that are available to us today. We too have the opportunity to hear the word of God each week and encounter the risen Jesus. We're doing that right now. 
We too have the opportunity to partake in the Lord's Supper each week and regularly encounter the risen Jesus. We're going to do that here in a moment. We too have the opportunity to share in meals with fellow Christians as well as share meals and hospitality to those outside of the body of Christ. And in each, we encounter the risen Christ. Through all of these avenues, we encounter the risen Jesus. As much as Jesus reveals himself in the subtle, ordinary ways, what he reveals himself to be is anything but ordinary. The amazed road travelers were longing for hope from a finite human perspective. They were longing for hope in positions of power, prestige, and might. And just like these, so too, our longings for hope are often just as limited and short-sighted. The Emmaus Road travelers merely hoped for a better life in Israel with national prestige and prosperity. But in Jesus' resurrection, we see that God intended to provide these travelers and us today with a hope that is infinite and eternal. God desired to provide a hope far greater than the human imagination could conjure up on its own. Jesus did not just come back to life in the manner of life that we know it right now. No, Jesus came back to life glorified, to life transformed. Jesus' transformed life reveals to the Emmaus travelers and to us a reality of hope greater than we could ever imagine. Jesus reveals a hope of resurrection. Resurrection hope is not just hope of being alive after you die or merely living life better after death. Rather, resurrection hope is hope of life, Life in its entirety, life transformed, life glorified, life anew. Life to the fullest that you probably can't even imagine. And as we think back to Jesus' words to the Emmaus travelers, we see that he highlights that he, the Messiah, had to suffer on the cross and then enter his glory. Glory was the end game. In Jesus' resurrection, we see that God does not just offer the world hope that the sting of death can be dodged a little while longer. No. In Jesus' resurrection, we see that God offers the world hope that the sting of death can be eliminated altogether. We see this hope in the glorified body that Jesus receives. In Jesus' resurrection, we see that God does not just offer the world hope that people can live healthy and prosperous in the here and now. Rather, in Jesus' resurrection, we see that God offers the world hope that people can live richly into eternity. We see this hope in Jesus overcoming death and the barrier of sin between God and humanity. In Jesus' resurrection, we see that God does not just offer the world hope that people can live in peace in their homeland at the expense of other peoples and nations. Rather, in Jesus' resurrection, we see that God offers the world hope that all nations across the globe can live in peace with each other. We see this hope in Jesus overcoming not just the Roman enemy, but the common enemy of all, the ruler of the kingdoms of this world, and he who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. You can see that in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. The hope that comes in Jesus' resurrection is not just a hope that comforts our despair. Rather, the hope that comes in Jesus' resurrection is a hope that breaks through our despair and carries us into a new, transformed, glorified, and eternal, eternal bodily existence with God in his kingdom. Jesus truly is our great hope, breaking through our despair and bringing us perfect, an everlasting hope. What causes you to despair this morning? To what hope are you longing for this morning? 
Is it a hope that can be only imagined from the limited and short-sighted perspective of our frail human existence? Are you weary from being let down by earthly and human attempts at bringing hope? If so, then I invite you to turn to Jesus. Even if you've given your life to Jesus, that doubt can creep in. And I invite you to, once again, put your trust in Him. Because we do that moment after moment after moment after moment. Turn toward Jesus, who has opened our minds and our hearts to a hope that is from outside our frail human existence. Turn toward Jesus, who has given us hope of a new, transformed, glorified, and eternal bodily existence with God in His kingdom. Turn toward Jesus, who has given us a preview of His hope in his resurrected body. This same Jesus who revealed himself alive and glorified to the two two travelers on the Emmaus Road is the same Jesus who is still revealing himself alive and glorified to us today by the presence of his living and glorious spirit in our lives. This is what we celebrate this morning. We celebrate that our despair will not have to last forever. We celebrate that we have a great hope. We celebrate that this great hope is encountered in the risen Jesus. Will you join me in prayer as we close? Father God, thank you that you have made a way possible for us to have hope beyond what our imagination can conjure up. Thank you for the hope that we have in the resurrection life of your son, Jesus. And thank you for the hope that you offer to us if we entrust our life to you. Father, we can doubt that we should, but help us to have faith to entrust our life to you moment after moment after moment after moment, trusting that you have the best in mind for us, the fullest life that we could ever dream of. And it's in following in your son's footsteps. It's by the power of your spirit and through your son Jesus that we pray this. Amen.